Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Russia, where we are sending you love. And I did not plan this introduction at all. <laughs> it's Raven Bond, episode two, from Russia with love. I am Natalie Bohensky, James Bond tragic, and with me is my uh, superlative spy sidekick, Stuart Late. Hello, Natalie. Hello, everyone. I'm very excited to talk about this film. Uh, it yeah. is a, it's a cracker. It's it really, really good. Cracker. <laughs> uh, so we are, if you have just joined us, we have begun this project to uh, go back and do a retrospective of all of the Bond films in order of release. So we started with Dr. No, which we, means we're on to film number two, 1963's From Russia with Love, starring Sean Connery and directed by Terence Young, who also directed from uh, Dr. No. Dr. no. So he was a director of a lot of the first few. Oh, okay, right, right, right. So, so he he came back. So they they. Yeah. So there's a lot of consistency in the early Bond films with the production team, which is why you get similar motifs and why you get. Remind me to mention. I should have put this in my 100. Uh, sorry, my one minute challenge. 100 minute <laughs> challenge. That's a long challenge. But I just yeah, Sean Connery's jokes. Oh yes, yeah. Well, I'm I'm definitely going to mention that. I, I need to. I, I should have written more of them down because a lot of them just aren't really jokes. Like the Bond puns in yeah, this. Movie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I was going to say like this. I, I noticed them way more. They were obviously putting them in. I, and yeah. I, they they didn't really have uh, one-liners in in the first one. No, not so much. There was the odd quip, but the whole yeah. sort of pun on. Uh, I'm oh gosh, I should have written them down, but there are a couple of ones that it's like oh, it looks like he's lost his head or something. There were just ones that it's like that's not really a joke. Well, there was um, one where um, there's the one where they're they're waiting to snipe the uh, the guy who comes out of the the big billboard lady's yes, mouth. That was the and one then, that kept her mouth shut. Yeah, he says should have kept her mouth shut. What? <laughs> that has nothing to do with anything. It's just a random misogynist phrase. <laughs> just the fact his hideout was in Anita Ekberg's mouth. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Flat. It's like, yes, I can see what you're doing there, but it actually doesn't technically work as a joke. Yeah, well, like it, it, it's a pun on it's the a, on the actual situation that has just occurred, but it makes no sense for James <laughs> Bond to say that at that point in time. It's so, just yeah. weird. So I have to... Um, uh, I think get a more substantive documentation of the puns and start putting in them into my accompanying essays. Yes, I think. most definitely. Of we'll like, have to do a pun count. Or yeah, a, a pun count, count or a, a good pun, bad pun sort of competition. Like, what are the ones that are great? What are the ones that don't make any sense? Um, but yeah, so <laughs> uh, we are talking from Russia with love. We now the first thing I just want to say before we get onto our one minute challenge, Stu, yes. is you've never seen this one before. Is that right? Uh, no, well, I, I've seen it, I, I think I've seen this one once 20 years ago when I was, like, a kid. Okay. And I remember it being kind of boring because, like, the the early Bonds, if you watch them as a kid, they're, they're grown-up movies in many ways. Like, they, they were disposable popcorn movies back in the 60s, but, you know, to a kid in the late 90s, you're sort of like, ah, oh, these are kind of boring. So, you know, like, I, I've seen it once 20 years ago. And so I was really pleasantly surprised when I watched it this time. I was like, this is a, a really fun movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it stands up. It's got great 
uh, villains. And it's actually regularly ranked very highly whenever people do their best off Bond lists. Mm. Um, From Russia with Love generally turns up pretty high up, you know, in the top five. It has some stuff in it that I find genuinely delightful, but I don't think the movie wants – I don't think that's the movie's fault. There's stuff that I absolutely laughed my head off at. Give me I one. Found it, I found it like delightful. Well, well, this was in my, this was in my one minute challenge, but I, okay. I just. Well, we'll start, I, let's start the challenge. I, okay, okay. Well, so this was further down, but I one of one of the things that I listed was, I love a good room full of dudes doing stuff, um, <laughs> and holy crap, is there like this might I think this might be like what created that trope. Is that the thing? I'm talking, of course, about the the scene towards the start of the movie where Colonel Kleb, is it Kleb or Clegg or? Kleb, K-L-E. Kleb, yes. Uh, (laughs) We'll just call her Frau Frau Fabissina. Yes. Starts, (laughs) which is, again, another Austin Powers leg. Yeah. Amazing. But uh, I had forgotten that, like, she was in this movie and is so obviously, like, the inspiration for Frau Fabissina that, uh, she's in there. She's being all like hard and, and German and stuff. And then they they walk her through this room. If you haven't if you haven't seen the movie, go yeah. see it. Do you um, mean the training the training the, the training uh, area? Yeah, the where training. there's just <laughs> random pairs of dudes doing outlandish shit. <laughs> like the one guy has a flamethrower. Yeah. they're using like two other guys i think they were dressed as gladiators yeah. like i'm not sure what was going on there they were definitely both shirtless with knives yeah right like that's it's just combat yeah that's it and they're just doing this walk and talk while this yeah. insanity is unfolding around them and the scene is played completely straight, <laughs> straight. Like, yeah. i don't i i can't get a firm handle on exactly how tongue-in-cheek the early Bond films are, they obviously a little bit tongue in cheek, but I get the impression that like that scene is meant to be kind of impressive. Like you're supposed yeah. to see, Oh, look at all these things that Spectre is doing. Yeah, and it's well, like, no, that she, that I laughed at. I'm so glad you brought this up because I didn't have this on my one minute challenge and I would have forgotten it because it is earlier in the film. But when she, <laughs> she lands and the guy who's in charge of their secret base or something goes, yeah. welcome to Spectre Island. <laughs> right. Welcome to Spectre Island. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Really? You're being that obvious with the name? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I did. I laughed at that as well. Just that whole – it's like it's like meta-commentary on the fact that, obviously, when they shot the film, they had all these different things set up, and they yes. went, okay, and you'll do this, and then you'll do this, and you'll do this, and you'll get the flamethrower, and you'll stab each other with your oiled-up corpses. Sorry. Your oiled <laughs> yes. And uh, – so it's almost like they've had to do that for their training zone and they've also done it for the movie on top. It's like Yes, exactly. It's like an onion. That's right. It was just it was just so <laughs> delightful. Like such a ridiculous nonsense. <laughs> the idea that you would have your spies all training on different things, but at the same time. Yeah, like, like over a couple like there's there like multi levels, like like it's they're, they're outside, but it's like obviously like a facility that they're doing this in. Yeah. And they're all like there's like there's like the flamethrower area. Yeah. And and the, the throwing <laughs> knives area. They look you know, like, like scratch courts, you know, they're literally just a few yeah. meters long That's each. Right, exactly. meters wide each. <laughs> and then, and I wonder if they sort of thought, well, we've only got these, you know, ten stuntmen. 
Um, if we put them in a group and make them do exercises, it's going to look a bit pissy. So what if we pile them all in together and make it look like there's all these different activities and so you'll think there's heaps of shit going on. Um, like, it, was just, it was just delightful. It was a great it was a great early thing to put in the film where I was just sort of like and, and it's it's interesting because it kind of gives Spectre their sort of QM in the office moment. Yes, yes. Like it's, yeah. it's weird. Like they're, they're positioning Spectre and certainly Red Grant as like like the equal to Bond mm. and 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 uh, MI6. Like like they're they're putting them out there as like yeah, like you you know Bond. You saw him in the last movie. So let's let's spend some time with Spectre. James Bond doesn't show up in this movie until twenty minutes into the film. Okay. Does he? Because this was in this was high up in my um and my first line in my if well, we can yes. if we can just uh Torvaldine it and go back and forth on the oh, ice. Absolutely, yes. Uh the <laughs> Torvaldine, what a topical reference. Um <laughs> Hey, we're talking about a movie from nineteen sixty two, Natalie. Sixty three. Sixty three, sorry, sixty three. This movie would have come out about a month and a bit before JFK was shot. Yes. Like think about that. Yeah. Nothing more. Just think about that. Yeah, um, that's just a fact. <laughs> no, but, but well, my, uh, it probably came out, it actually came out a bit later in the US. So JFK was shot by the time it came out in the US. I wonder if that changed people's interpretations at all. Hmm. Um, I mean, it kind of, it involves like Britain and Russia. So. Yeah, true. But the point is that I was going to bring up is that we see Bond in the very opening pre credits sequence the pre-credits yes, well, well this is the first sequence. time we get this is our this is our very first cold open the other movie just sort of launched into the titles uh this one does the the gun barrel scene and then we get a cold open yeah which becomes such a, a feature of, of bond films and actually you see you see here like the reason that they do it is to like completely throw the audience for a loop it's like oh what 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 just happened yeah. You immediately think, oh, my God, Bond has just been strangled because it's Sean Connery there. And then they take the mask off. Now, I'm just trying to search as as we talk for when Mission Impossible came out um, because Mission Impossible. Oh, that's a very good point, actually. Has, of course, those lifelike masks. I mean, that's a very big trope in, in their. There you go, 1966. So, again, Bond is first. Wow. Okay. Uh, yep. I wonder if they took something from that. Um, but, like, th- can you imagine an actual mask from 1963 technology? To look at- <laughs> yes, exactly. Can you just think about that? If yeah, we, exactly. like, imagine, imagine the horror. Imagine the, the body horror that would be looking at a realistic, <laughs> in quotation marks. <laughs> like, what, what would obviously be a rubber mask of, of Sean Connery spirit yeah. gummed onto the face of some rando. Yeah, that's right. So, and then they, they just, they have, I love the fact that when they take it off, it's already sort of half off his face yeah. because if the camera went up and did a full look at it, you'd be like, well, that's clearly a terrible mask. Yes, exactly. Um, but I wonder, and I, I should probably research this because I'm sure it's on the internet, but I wonder if they made the choice to have that sequence there to show Bond, or, you know, it's not Bond, but it's still Sean Connery's face. Yes. to show him so that you've already seen him. So this delay in actually getting to Bond yes. doesn't seem so long. 
I, oh, I like think I, probably. Yeah, yeah. I, I think probably. Like, like you, you get the idea in your head that you've probably seen Bond, even though you don't actually see Bond, James Bond. Yes. Until like literally, I think eighteen. I, I looked at the at the time. I think it's like eighteen minutes into the film. Yeah. Uh, which is a long ass time for yes. Bond not to show up in a James Bond movie. Yeah, in Goldeneye, which is one of my favourites, uh, which we will get to, which was the first Bond back for like six years after the the break of yes, the yeah, late yeah, 80s, the... early 90s. And there was, um, funnily enough, though, I was looking up doing my, my essay based on Dr. No, and I was looking up when Spectre was. And Spectre was 2015. So No Time to Die is going to come out at the end of this year. That's going to be five years between Bond films. Mm. That's almost the same time as um, – when the big sort of the, 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 the studio drama issue happened, sure. which I'm sure we'll talk about when we get to that, when Bond, like, wasn't on the screen for six years. Uh, That's interesting, it seem- isn't it? Like, it, it has been off for a long time. It, yeah, it really it really has. And when you think about this film came out pretty much one year after Dr. No. So they, yeah, like, they, they raced, raced into production. Yeah, and, and then Golden, Gold, uh, Goldfinger comes out a year after that, and then You Only Live Twice is a year after that. And then there's sort of two years for George Lazenby's effort and then a couple more years for, for um, Diamonds, Diamonds Are Forever. Forever. But then they're fairly regularly every two to three years, and that's generally been the pace. But um, this one, when you think about how they would have just gone, bam, straight from production on one into production on the other, mm. uh, but then movies do take a lot longer now. There's more special effects, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, yeah, I do think that they gave you a bit of bond – and then they had this sort of strange situation where he's chasing someone or is he being chased? And then, voila, yeah. uh, he's he's murdered. And that would have, like, again, I'm thinking, I'm trying to think if, if you were like a 15-year-old kid looking at that film in 1963, you would have been like, oh, my God, he just killed Bond? Yeah, like, like it would have actually been a genuine fake-out because people yeah. are sitting there going, like, like, this is only the second movie in this series. Yeah. Like, like, James Bond is not James Bond. It's like, oh, there was that one movie that was pretty good and now they've made a sequel to it. Yeah. So now it's it's like, oh, well, maybe they have killed him off. Mm. You know, like, who knows? Maybe Sean Connery didn't want to come back for, for this one. You know, so maybe maybe that's the thing. What, what I found really interesting was that um, to give you just a tiny bit of a clue that maybe something isn't uh, quite right, Sean Connery is clearly wearing, like, three times as much makeup as what he would normally be. I don't know whether you whether you noticed that. I, I just that, that really jumped out at me. Like in they're the obviously trying to thing. tell it Yeah, yeah, in the in the um in the cold open. Oh they're okay. obviously they're obviously trying to telegraph or maybe they're not. Maybe that's just like what his makeup looked like at that point. But it just seemed like compared to everywhere else in the film where it's quite naturalistic, in that in those scenes he's really made up. Like it's caked on like 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 stage makeup. <laughs> Um, and it really, it really looks like it. They might have been trying to sort of give an impression that he might, that there's a, something waxy about his countenance, that you know, without sort of telegraphing it too much. Yeah, I wonder. Uh, maybe, or it could be something in the um, digital upgrading of the film, where that stuff becomes more obvious. Yeah, possibly, possibly. Better. Like I say, like it was 1963, so maybe that was just what his makeup looked like that night. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know that when they did Some Like It Hot, which was 1959, they uh, Billy Wilder, the director, 
um, wanted to film in black and white. And the reason I know this is because I was a Marilyn fan and Marilyn had a, 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 a what do you call it, stipend? No, uh, requirement in her contracts that her films be technicolour because obviously she's beautiful, so you want to see her in bright <laughs> colour. And um, and Billy Wilder had to go to her and say, look, if we put Jack Lemon and Tony Curtis in colour in their drag makeup, like their cake drag makeup, it's not going to be believable at all that they are, you know, actual women hiding, you know, amongst a group of other women. Like, you know, it's going to be very yes, obvious exactly. they're men in very badly applied pancake makeup. <laughs> so that's why they did black and white because you can kind of fudge it a bit more. But, um, yeah, I imagine that maybe, yeah, maybe that was, maybe it was like a little nod to more makeup. But I think, um, sorry, we should get back to your uh, your your list. No, no, that's all right. Yeah, yeah, well, um, so uh, so the cold open was, an, was a first. Um, another thing that we get, for a first, uh, I, guess, I guess in a way, is a dedicated Bond theme um, in the sense that, like, this movie has a, a theme and, and the, yeah. the title of the movie is the theme is the theme tune. Yes. Um, so I, I thought that was really interesting. Like, we're seeing, like, we, we talked last week about uh, how that movie, like, like, Dr. No starts as a spy movie and becomes a Bond film. Mm. Uh, and having become a Bond film, the franchise is now like with this second movie, really packing on a lot of the stuff that it's going to be using going forward. So like, again, like we get, we get a pre-credit sequence, which basically is in most Bond films, I think. Like there's not, I'm trying to oh, think yeah. of a, a Bond film that um, doesn't have a cold open now. That's why I brought up Goldeneye. Um, mm. Because I remember so clearly going to see that in the cinema, um, because I think that was the first Bond film I actually saw in the cinema. Uh, the, the first person you see is Pierce Brosnan, or is James Bond from behind, mm. and he dives off the damn wall, and then you see him like circle, like get inside this building, and then he opens a door, and it's his face. Yes, yes. So the first person you see in the cold open is James Bond. In Tomorrow Never Dies, he's not seen for a while because he's he's hiding, and it's a market of weapons, and you can see M and. The other dude, the Navy dude, you know, talking about him and like, where is he? Where is he? And then there's an explosion and he turns up. But, yeah, they, they often are his Bond, you know, or his. Yeah. And here his Bond having an unrelated adventure usually. Like it's like it, they rapidly become his just a fun set piece. <laughs> Some. Yeah. Yeah. They do. Not always. Not always, but but, but, but often. Yes, they often become become a, a little joyous, riotous bit of fun where he can end up with a sexy girl and, and <laughs> you know, and then there's some object which fades out and becomes the object in the opening title credit sequence. Yes, exactly. Um, with the lights and the the uh, the nude girls. And so so that was the so that was the next thing that I was going to say. So so we get the we get the title uh, uh the movie's title as a, as the theme song. So we're not not bad. Like I mean, in terms of in terms of uh, Bond themes, I think you know there's definitely better, but there's there's worse. Um, well, uh, this is the thing because it was it was um, the music, but it's not the lyrics. The actual song is sort of played at the end. Like yes. the, the 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 opening theme is the music of it. The da, 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 da. And what I would add to that too is the movie has a, a motif, a repetitive motif which I think is oh, – my brain gets music confused, but I think it's the da 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 da
Yes, I, I actually I, I did a little bit of research uh, before we came on, and that's actually uh, the 007 theme. So not not the James Bond theme, but the 007 theme. Uh, that's like the action yes. theme. Yes, the action theme, because you hear that repeated in different films as well. Yes. But that's the first time that we see it in From Russia with Love. Yeah, absolutely. It's like how it's like how in Star Wars, uh, you don't get the like the Imperial March until Empire Strikes Back, until the second film. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And that is such a and for, for those who don't know, that's the da 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 right? That doesn't that's not in Star Wars. That's in Empire. That's in the second movie. That doesn't really? show up until one movie later. Like and it's such yeah. an integral part of Star Wars that it's insane to think that there was like an entire like two years where like Star Wars existed in the world but the Imperial March wasn't a part of that pop cultural like, that's, a that's a revelation to me because I could pro- if you were to say sing something from Star Wars I would more likely go dun 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 yeah. da, than you know da 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 or is that Superman. No, 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 that, that's Star Wars. That it's all John Williams. Yeah, that's right. Yes. They sound similar. <laughs> I mean, they're in the same ballpark. You get me, right? You, they you know, really are. Yeah. To, to the point where if you're humming them to yourself, sometimes you can switch between them uh, <laughs> a little bit. Uh, John Williams is a legend, but, like, you know, he he, he, he likes to reuse his themes. He's, but, got, um, a He's got a style, and that's he good. Does. He does. Um, but this movie's music has a style too, and I thought that was really cool that um, mm. like they that where we're introducing things in this movie, yes. like the second movie. And that is John Barry. Uh, that is John Barry, yeah, yeah. Yes. So so John yes. Barry, I think, only came on with this one, but then he became No, I he was in, he was in Doctor he he did the orchestra for, for Doctor No. Oh, okay, it's radio. Mon- yeah. Yeah. So it's Monty Norman who created the, you know, dun 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 but yes. then the film was actually scored by um, John Barry. So and John do Barry. Know, do you know the trivia? I, I, I meant to mention this last week and I forgot. Um, did you mention? Did you know the the story behind the Bond theme, like what it was? I. It's, Have it was you heard this or something from it? It was. It was something. Yeah, it it, was, did, it was like a weird. It was a weird. Uh, it was. It was from a musical that I think Monty Norman had written. It was like a, a junked uh, song about an Indian character, like a, an Indian man who like constantly sneezes all the time. And if, <laughs> and if you listen to it, like it goes ding, 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 ding. You know, it's, it's like, a, it's, it's meant to be like a Bollywood sort of song okay. about this guy talking about how he, he can't stop sneezing. And right? then I and it, the explosive. Da-da! <laughs> da-da. Yeah, exactly. Like literally that. Um, and, and, <laughs> And it be, and basically it just sat in a drawer and he was like looking for something to do with it. And they were like, oh, we've got this movie about this super spy. And he kind of just basically sped it up and played it on guitar. And, yeah, because so, it's, it's that rolling, that real electric guitar kind of bang, 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 that twang yeah. that makes it bond, I think. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. And it, it's so obvious when like I remember when I first heard about it, I'm like, of course, it, it's like obviously like a like an Indian Bollywood pastiche because you slow it down and you you hear those that note progression you're like oh of course that that's what it was but then you just speed it up put some brass behind it and 
Like it's a it's a it's an iconic thing. Yeah. It's amazing. I what was the other one? Is it is it the wide world of sports theme in Australia? Uh, do they even have the wide world of sports? I don't know. I don't I don't really watch sports. But as a kid, you know, in the nineties, like the wide world of sports, and I assume in the eighties as well, was like yeah, the I, I, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. So the dun 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 dun. dun yes. Da, da, da. Now, isn't that from, is it Camelot, the musical Camelot? No, it's from uh, Cool Hand Luke. No, it's not. Yes. From- yeah, yeah, yeah. It's from the. It's from a, a shot of uh, the prisoners working in a chain gang. Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can look it up online. Like, it's 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 on there. Um, and it's the most surreal thing because I associate it with, like, Saturday afternoons. Yes. Um, <laughs> And I remember once, uh, gosh, when I think maybe I was a uni student or early early career in radio and seeing there was an AFL game, maybe a grand final, and I was on covering mm. the news or something and that was on. But the the music that they played under, like while all the players came out on stage. stage. On stage. <laughs> oh, I'm so tragic. Um, yes, on, on, on the field as yes. they – as they uh, made their uh, entrance onto the field uh, <laughs> from stage left, uh, they no, they um, they were playing the opening uh, overture from Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Anyway, I could go on. I can sing the whole thing. Um, but the <laughs> point is, I like my ears pricked up and I went what are they using that music for? That's from Robin Hood. And, of course, it's just a piece of, like, sort of stirring classical music. Exactly. It just sort of suits. So when you see things, uh, yeah, it, it really is very discordant. Like that wide world of sports, seeing it not associated with Saturday afternoon cricket is so weird. <laughs> so continue with your yeah, – sorry, yeah, I'll keep going. And so I, I got stuck on the idea of firsts. And so um, this is the first appearance of Q, like proper Q. Apparently yes. that was Q last week, but screw that guy. We finally get Desmond Llewellyn. Yes, he's so good. So tiny, good. tiny little, tiny, tiny, tiny little film. Roll tiny little two minutes on screen, yeah. three minutes on yeah, screen. Yeah. Just uh, there to hand bond his uh, his bag full of tricks. Yeah. Um, but, but, but it is. You- that's what I really liked is that this time it wasn't just a gun. They're like, oh, no, no, we've got some spy shit for you this time. Yes, yes, a gadget, <laughs> his first gadget. It's like a, a thing that, like, does stuff, and then it pays off later in a very specific yeah. way. Yeah. I, I, I quite like I quite like that because, again, it's one of those things yeah. that, in context, it makes total sense. Like, they're basically setting up Chekhov's tear gas canister yes. um, to be used <laughs> later on in the, in the, in the movie. Chekhov's- rigged suitcase briefcase yes exactly they say there's a there's a throwing knife in there there's some uh 50 gold sovereigns a gun that he uses a bunch of times and then also uh this this tamper device Mm. um so it's um it's cool it's a cool little spy spy kit isn't there a i'm I'm just it just made me think isn't there a stand-up it might be eddie Izzard. Uh, I'm sure there's like a stand-up routine, someone talking about all the, the gadgets, because like Bond always uses the gadgets that he's given in some yes, way. They yes, come exactly, in handy. Yeah. And I <laughs> it was like Eddie Izzard, I could be wrong. Um, I'll, I'll try to find out who, but doing something like, oh, all these things you gave me, Q, that were absolutely useless. You know, like why, 
why did this vest turn into flowers? That was pointless. <laughs> so, you know, it's like the idea that the idea that Q always has exactly the right thing for yeah, Bond. That's right. Every film. <laughs> he just it's knows very, he's that good. Very charming. Um, so there's that. Uh, what was the other thing? There was um, the one-liners. I said like like this is. I feel like there wasn't really like quippy one-liners last time, and 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 I feel like there really really was. Like they really lent pretty hard on on the a lot of different one-liners in this movie. Yeah. And that's that's interesting. It's interesting how they've sort of taken from the last the last film. They're like, you know what it needs more of? Like Bond just being a callous bastard in in the face of like horrible maiming and death. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we should definitely have. But we also have in uh, in Red Grant the the very first sort of he's not quite a henchman and yet he absolutely is. Like he then becomes the the the, the template for all henchmen going forward. Yes. Do you agree? Like, like it just yeah. it just I just feel like, you know, he's a great henchman. He's a really good counterpoint to bond yeah and i was going to say because he's not he's not really in that in that respect he's not really a henchman he's more meant to be like a, a dark mirror to bond that's right that he's, he's, he's blonde. Yeah, yeah exactly like he's <laughs> and the thing with him is that the henchman sort of i guess more like um rosa kleb number three yes. uh, played by lottie lenya she's more that kind of very quirky character henchman she you know she's got she's very much giving out like lesbian overtones um oh God, yes yeah i was gonna, in, I was in, gonna her, say. in her dealings with um i think she is outright in the novel i think um i think that's sort of an outright thing sure Ian Fleming while, had some yeah, weird Ian ideas Fleming. about lesbians but, but he did because wasn't it didn't i see i think it was on an episode of qi where stephen fleming um ian sorry stephen fry talked about in one of the Bond books where Ian Fleming says, oh, you know someone's gay, a, a, a homosexual man, yes. uh, because they can't whistle. They can't whistle. <laughs> gay men can't whistle. <laughs> Just what even is that? Thing. And it's like, did he actually believe that or did he throw that in as a joke? Yeah, I, I is, don't that, know is that meant to be like tongue-in-cheek? or Because I've never read that in context. Like maybe that is obviously a joke. Or, or like meant to be at someone's expense in the book, or maybe it's not. Maybe it's just some insane thing that Ian Fleming believed. Yeah, that's that's how you know, you know. <laughs> Lesbians <laughs> can't click their fingers. Gay yeah. men can't whistle. Can't whistle. <laughs> I can't roll my tongue. What does that make me? Oh, interesting. Um, <laughs> obviously not a lesbian. Um, ha ha! Boom 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 boom. Uh, that one goes out to the lesbians. <laughs> if you are a lesbian uh, listening, um, call, in call in and feel free to abuse me if I'm being uh, rude. I don't mean to be, but yes, we're, 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 lo- um, and I love Rosa Klebb. I think Rosa Klebb is a great character. Like she's very memorable. Like she, as you she's said, the, again, delightful. The fact that Frau Fabisner is so drawn from her just oh, shows absolutely. her impact. It's so stark. In the same way yeah. that, that you're absolutely right, like Dr. No is a very clear inspiration for Blofeld. Uh, not for Blofeld, for um for Dr. Evil. Um, Like they're, they're both doctors. They're both evil doctors. Mm. Uh, you know, like it's just, yeah. It's... <laughs> you have to kind of knock yourself in the head and go, oh, yeah. Oh, of course. <laughs> it's pretty much that. Mike Myers knew what he was doing. Sure uh, did. But 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 in that one situation. But she's like a she's a villain, 
but she's also kind of got that henchman villain quirkiness, whereas Red Grant is just like killing machine. And I think they talk about him. He's a he's a the, at, the, at the training center uh, between all the flamethrowers and the oiled up <laughs> stop stabbing. They it's talk basically about basically just I just I just this second realized that it's literally just that they've obviously said there's there's a lot of exposition we need to get out. Can we make it more interesting? Yeah. <laughs> Blow stuff up in the background. Just have just have stuff blowing up and and men fight knife fighting in the and, background. Stu, what did we learn from Game of Thrones? What did <laughs> they right. do hey. when there was a lot of exposition? <laughs> they sure did. They just had some chicks get it on. They uh, certainly did. And, and, and back did. we are at, at lesbians. Um, uh, where we <laughs> um, but the, the um, uh, you know, she has that kind of strange quirkiness to her. Red Grant is just a pure psychotic. We've trained him up. We've got him. He's super fit. He can take a knuckle duster to the torso like a champion. <laughs> yes, he That's can. all she needs to know. That's all she needs to know. And again, she, she wants to see him. All she does is a sneaky punch to the gut, and she's like, "Yep, he's fine." It's like, like, no, can, he, can he take a, can he take a punch? All right, he's fine. That, that's excellent. No that's kind good of, enough for me. Is is he smart enough to obey my orders? Is he going to be able to? Keep because he's got psychopathic tendencies. Like, is he going to be able to keep a lid on those until yeah. the right time? Because as we find out, and this is on my list, which we'll get to in a minute, but it's a very complicated plan that this whole plot is built on. Yeah, and I guess that's the reason it takes like 20 minutes for the film to sort of go, okay, like let's just set this table and make sure that everyone knows what's going on because we have to have the scene of them. Uh, going to the chess match and getting uh, the 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 weird creepy guy, uh, I yes. think. Cross Cronstein. Cronstein or whatever his name number, was. Um, number five, I think. Number five, and, and so he's a he's a chess genius, and obviously that means he's a strategist, uh, master strategist. It and makes he, sense. Sure, sure. Yeah, I I just love that. Um, the implication in that scene is that he's just been toying with the other guy the entire time. It's like, oh, you need to you need to finish this now. Okay, great, checkmate. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've just been drawing this out. It's, uh, it's how I get my kicks. Um, yeah. But he's devised this uh, elaborate scheme in, to play the Russians and the English off against each other, yes. and that that will get them a lector machine. And uh, also allow them to kill Bond in revenge for yes. Yeah. Uh, and I, I like that those early films, like they have some continuity between mm. the, like they acknowledge oh, yeah. that the early film existed in a way that yeah. the, that we probably don't see again until once, you know, once Spectre is sort of out as an organization, we don't really see that happening much again until um, Daniel Craig's era, until Casino Royale. Well, but even, but even then. Like that, that then becomes an insane, like the like the, the the timeline of these Bond films then just gets completely nuts because you know obviously like like in the early going like yeah okay we've had Doctor Noah now this this one uh, references those events uh, and so we know that this one comes relatively soon after the last film. Yes. Um, but by the time we get to Casino Royale, like is Casino Royale supposed to be like a prequel to Doctor No? Is that is that how that works or? Who knows, Stu? Like because it's the same M who was just doing all the pieces. Well, exactly, out. exactly. We've changed the M, and then by the end no, of. They have changed the M. That's the problem. 
I, I love, absolutely have. I love Judy Dench, and I was so glad when they said they were keeping her on as M. But when you look at how they set that up, it's like it doesn't make sense. No, no, no. And then by the end of the time, by, by the end of, of Skyfall, they've gotten Ray Fiennes to basically be M from Doctor No, and in that in that wood paneled office with like the 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 quilted door on and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, like it just. And so does is is that has that all been a prequel to like Doctor No like like what how does that even work like what what's the timeline of this thing and I, I do like that in these early ones like we we still don't have all of this like accretion of cultural yes. detritus that, on on the Bond franchise we have one previous film and now we have this film and the yeah. film really like has a lightness and an energy to it because of that yes. Uh, yeah. It's it's really interesting to to sort of watch this and go, oh, they they still don't know what a Bond film is like, like they're figuring it out. Yeah, you know, like like this one sets the template for a lot of stuff. And the but they didn't know that, that at the time. They were just like, oh, let's try this. Let's see if this is interesting. Yeah, and there's no like, as I said, you know, what I think, um, you know, turned the spy movie into a Bond movie is that no- notion of the villain and the villain's lair. Yeah. And there's not really the that lair. doesn't. In, yeah, the lair. It's all about the lair, Stu. It's all about the lair. And there's not Underwater, really... in a volcano, yeah, on the moon. Exactly. And we don't have a lair in this one, really. We see the whole first 15 minutes, as you say, after the um, opening title sequence. And this is on my list, If again, if we can Torval and Dean it and just do a bit of a bolero action. Um <laughs> I am oh my Torvaldine referencing is just it's exquisite. Um, so <laughs> this is 100% more references to Torvaldine than I was expecting in this particular episode. <laughs> Who could have known when we sat down to Who do could a have known? podcast that we would bring in an obscure or now obscure ice skating duo from the 80s. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, oh God, I've forgotten. But yes, we see the whole. Um, we see we see Blofeld essentially. He's stroking the cat, so we get the villain with the cat. We don't see his yes. face, but we see his number three and his number five. So still up there in terms of rank, but not. That's right. You know. Not number two. Was Doctor Who? Was Doctor No supposed to be number two, or was he? I mean, he I mean, was certainly... maybe maybe that's the implication, like like that. There's no number two there, so maybe Doctor No was number two. He was certainly in number two by the end of Doctor No. <laughs> um, hey, uh, see, that's what you I was, come. I, for. Look, that's there was what a, I'm here for. That's right. There, there was a, there was a number two joke just floating there, waiting to be picked up. <laughs> waiting to be flushed down. I think <laughs> <Yes>. you'll find. <laughs> um, <laughs> don't pick it up. Not particularly not. Don't, do not pick it up. No. You know, wash your hands, people. Just stay safe. Uh, but w- we see the whole plan kind of outlined, and then there's action in this film, but there's no one big villainous set piece explosion like at the end of Doctor No. It's Bond having this very claustrophobic man on man fight with Red Grant, which is great. <laughs> and then what a strange way and, to describe that. What's funny? Yes. Well, it is. It's it's quite it's close close hand fighting. It's it you sure know is. It absolutely it's, is. because they're so it's physically. It's a real good man on man action. 
it's it, you know what I just really love watching man on man action stew and and in a small confined space it's better. Hey, absolutely, don't we all? Look, don't look at my internet hurt history. That's all I'm saying. To you. <laughs> and then we have the the he he gets them off the train and he he smacks out the the you know the guy who was going to kidnap the uh, Nash's con- well Red Grant's contact and then they get on the boat and they're driving up the Dalmatian co- driving speeding up the Dalmatian co- coast in the boat uh and then and then there's the you know they get attacked and then they you know fire some petrol set flares on fire and f- I'm not speaking words properly but you get what I mean there's some action sequences but there's no one big massive destruction of and they're all kind of they're all kind of um strung together so so whereas there's there's one set piece which is very Bondy at the end of Doctor No. Yes. In this one, there's like three or four different like action set pieces all sort of yeah. strung together. The, the and it heli- turns the end into this rolling, um, this rolling fight basically. Yeah. So you, the helicopter bit was the bit that I missed there, where the the spectre yes, helicopter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, which was I'm sitting there going, that's genuinely impressive for 1963. Like they are, yeah. they are really getting close to that stuntman. <laughs> yeah, and also he's keeping his hat on despite the wind <laughs> off his blade. The hat is staying. Well, you know, uh, an English gentleman doesn't lose one's hat, even when well, one is being attacked by a helicopter. I, I think this might – I don't know that we see much more of James Bond in a hat after this I film. was thinking that. I'm thinking, like, surely the fashion moved on by that stage. Um, the, the, the James Bond in a hat is weird to me. Yeah, it is. But it, he, he even still in this, he throws his hat on. Um like when they're leaving the train, like he grabs his coat and his hat. Like it's, it's. Yeah. It's just something that you do because that's what yeah. people want. And then the swinging sixties really kicks in and everyone's hats. <laughs> we don't want any hats. We want mini skirts and low waisted pants, not high waisted pants. <laughs> so yes, finish your, finish your list. And then um, I'll well, the do pants, my. I, I will say that the pants, I didn't have this on my list, but I will say the pants weren't quite as high in this one, but they're still pretty North of the belly button. Uh, I was, I was, interested by that i'm like okay still hasn't come down yet that's interesting <laughs> i'm sure that'll drop as the, as the movies go on <laughs> you can you can tell the march of time by the descent of the trouser descent of the trouser yes. the, the waistband yeah. the other thing i had was um in, in talking about uh red grant this has one of the best examples of like bond sits down and says basically says explain your plan and red grant says all right here's what yeah. here's our evil plan <laughs> like just just but, lays it all out you're gonna but, die anyway so i'm gonna tell you our entire evil plan but again that's looking at it from our eyes where we know that's a trope well you exactly know, and I yeah and that, that's what i really love about it is, is that there's like like that hadn't become a trope yet it's it's actually it almost creates a trope yeah, yeah. and but bond is also playing he's playing into red grant's narcissism like if he's yes. a psychopath then he's very he's had to spend this whole time tracking bond down saving his life at the gypsy camp and we'll get to that um oh but, yes <laughs> and he's had to keep bond and and he's he's played them off against each other and he's done all this really clever work mm. and the thing about psychopaths is that they really they need they need to get credit for their work, which is why a lot of them inevitably get killed, and then they want to talk about what they've done because they're psychopaths and they want the credit. Yes, um, exactly. I listen to a lot of murder podcasts, you see. So Red Grant <laughs> has to when when Bond gives him that little oh you must be really smart. What were you going to do? <gasps> oh, ingenious. Yeah, oh, how basically. Bl- 
get him talking try to and try to look for a for an opportunity to to get away and I think at the time that would have been like, wow, he's clever. Like he's not just jumping up and trying to punch him. And then that plays into the canister and getting him to open yes, the canister. Yes, exactly, yeah. It, you know, it, it, yes, it's a trope now, but it wouldn't, you know, if he was just like, hey, you wouldn't mind uh, looking in that case for me. I don't think I want to look in that case, Bond. No, please, go on, just look in it. Just look in it. What are you, chicken? <laughs> just look in the case. What's going to happen? Nothing's going to happen. Just look at the case. Get the money out. Just get the money out of the case. But I love, I love that actually that they complicate it slightly because there's actually two cases. So it's yeah. not that it's not that like Bond, like Bond sort of says, oh, it's in my case, and then Red Grant's like not an idiot, so he says, you open it. But then when nothing happens, he just opens the second one. But Bond knows that Q Branch has issued these to all of their field agents, so he knows yeah. that it's going to blow up in his face. It's just this lovely bit of. Just this little bit of extra layering to it, which actually makes you as an audience member feel a little bit smart. Yes. Because you figure it out. You're like, oh, okay, that's going to be like it'll still go off because it's a it's a standard bit of Q branch kit. Yeah. He's 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 gambling that it will all be the same. And yeah, that exactly. It, obviously, uh, if Grant isn't who he says he is, as in Nash, the the British agent, um, then he will you know, not have opened it. Yes. And and we see Bond check it when they go off to dinner. He takes uh, Tatiana off to dinner in the train and Bond checks the case. Yeah, and it's got, like, so just, he, like, underpants and socks and stuff in it, but it also has, like, a gun and and the, and the thing. So it's, like, it's definitely a, a Q-branch uh, briefcase. Yes. So I think – I can't remember. Did he see the tin case in that? He might have I, seen it. It might have showed no, maybe, that. I, maybe, I, remember. Yeah. I, I don't think it showed the canister, but it definitely showed, like, the gun parts and, and a yeah. couple of other things. So. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway. Interesting. I, I, had one more, I had one more thing uh, on my list, which is that um, this film is called From Russia With Love, and yep. it is set in Istanbul. So, <laughs> quite frankly, um, but like, it, it does not incredible. do what it says on the tin, Natalie. Uh, F, F grade, uh, shut it down. Uh, no, it's the girl. I yes, I know. I'm, I'm aware of that. <laughs> but it it is interesting that it's really only set in one location because you know Bond films. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it starts in uh, well, well, well. There's Spectre Island. That's a Spectre hell of a location. Island. And who knows where the hell Spectre Island is? <laughs> That's right. Kind of location to that. It's it's an island, but it's also got a huge, you know, brick stone mansion on it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Who the hell um, knows? <laughs> and they can fly into where was it? They says, "Oh, we'll be in Istanbul within a day, within 24 hours." And he's already in Istanbul, following Bond around. So it can't be that far from Istanbul. <laughs> but, but you're right. Like, like they do spend most of the movie in in basically one city, if not the same local. Like there, there's lots of locations within Istanbul, but they they obviously have gone. You know, it's not quite the globe trotting adventure that Bond films would become. Because I mean, even even Doctor No is is like all set in Jamaica, and we didn't really notice yeah. that last time. But like it's all in one place as well. And it, you know, we, future films will definitely become these globe trotting events where you go to three or four different locations. Uh, you know, in the first act, let alone and like we'll the entire movie. And we'll see that next week from Goldfinger, because Goldfinger does travel about yes. a bit. Yeah, yeah, it does. I can't wait for that, by the way. That's I'm really looking oh, forward yeah. to that one. Just the idea of being legitimately going, no, 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 I've got to watch Goldfinger for research. It's totally fine. <laughs> Love that movie. 
Love it, love it, love it. But back to From Russia with Love. So that that's basically my list. So so yeah, I, I a couple of things there, but yeah, I'm, I I didn't mention uh, one very big aspect of it, which I think you're going to have a lot to say about, which is the uh, the Bond girls in this particular yeah. um, movie. So I'll leave that to you. I, I imagine you have views. <laughs> So my list started uh, just uh, the ones that I've already mentioned that that, that pre sequence the, the cold open mm-hmm. as you, as you call it uh, and also then the after the opening title sequence um, which it should shout out to Maurice Binder who invented the whole concept of the shadow yeah that was fantastic and, I, and that must yeah. have been like practical like he would have actually like projected those onto naked women I think so yeah because like, there's, there's no way to CGI it in 1963 like no, you, you're... In- on one of the Bond DVDs that I have, there's like one of the special features is a documentary about Maurice Binder and and doing those uh, opening title sequences. And I remember they have people just saying, you just walk in and he'd have these women just nude. They're just nude. <laughs> yeah, they're just like, like against a white screen and he's doing lights and projections and they're all just doing yeah. movements and they're nude. And it, he was obviously incredibly like non-creepy that all these women would start in bikinis or whatever and then like half an hour in everyone would just be nude and gyrating and he obviously created a really welcoming atmosphere. Yeah, but it's another one of those things. It's another one. It's it's really interesting because obviously, you know, that's another thing that we sort of associate with these sort of early to mid-period Bond films is these title sequences with like the the naked ladies undulating in in profile, in silhouette rather. But uh, that's very specific to the setting of this movie because all of the the naked ladies in the in the intro to this are all belly dancers yes like it's like so it's 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 a it's a trope that is very specific to this movie and then just kind of got co-opted and all the context was stripped from it but no no i would disagree because they do like as we will see next week in goldfinger it's like one woman's body painted gold and sure 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 are projected and and it does tend to reflect what the movie is about. And again, yes, if you yeah, refer yeah. to Goldeneye, it's about oil and um, somehow it's about oil or something. But yeah, all of the uh, <laughs> no, I'm I'm thinking of it's about a satellite, Star. isn't it? Yeah, sorry, Goldeneye is all like ex-Soviet era statues and hammers and sickles and right, yes, 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 that sort of imagery because it's all about like it's the first film post-Soviet Russia. Post. So and Russia. the world world is not enough, which is about the oil pipeline. Has every, all the girls are kind of oil slicks and you know <laughs> that sort of thing. So they like it is still themed while being incredibly sexy and not crude because it's the silhouette. You know, if you just had women like belly dancing on screen, not that belly dancing is crude, of course, but the silhouetting gives and the projection gives it that magical fantastical element to it yes exactly yeah yeah, yeah. it's it's a it's a a, a fantasy it, it's it, it's this technicolor dream it's amazing mm-hmm. like it's a, it's actually an incredible title sequence it, it, like i'm looking at it like going like it looks amazing and then it also like technically it's it's incredible like, like having this projection on onto bodies like this like and having that be really sharp and, and readable it's amazing so yes yeah, so i mentioned that and i mentioned the 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 jokes and the puns which we'll talk back to i mentioned the boat chase <laughs> i love that they had a boat chase i love bond and he was in a boat in dr no technically but i love it when they have him driving boats yes. because the naval commander he was I, in a navy he was in the navy of course he was he's always comfortable in any kind of vehicle. He can drive yeah. whatever you put in front of him. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's the ultimate mechanic. But there's something about Bond in a boat that to me is the most yin and yang sort of like slots right in 
perfectly. I, I don't know. Yeah. So maybe you, it's, you love yeah. your um you love your bond in a boat. Maybe I've got a boat fetish. I did I did do Titanic the movie the play. It, it's possible. It's entirely possible. Then what I want to mention is Red Grant is played by Robert Shaw, who would go on to be famous for Quint. Jaws. He's Quint. Quint. He doesn't. He's not the one. I don't know Jaws that well. He's not the one who says we're going to need a bigger boat, is he? That's. No, no, that's uh, that's uh, Roy Schneider. Roy Schneider, not Rob Schneider. Not <laughs> Rob like, Schneider. Can you imagine? Very Rob important Jaws. distinction. Chief, Chief Brody. <laughs> Chief. Just um, now, I'm just imagining Adam Sandler's mate in Jaws. <laughs> well, we're going to need a bigger boat and some naked ladies. <laughs> Quint, Quint would have chopped Rob Schneider up and used him for Burley. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, um, his accents, because he's supposed to be Irish, and I don't know about you, but he did not sound Irish to me at all once he kind of dropped the accent. He no, he just kind of, he, he puts on like a like an obviously affected, like upper-class twit accent. Yes. Oh, and don't then, worry about that, old man. Don't worry about that, old man, yeah. Oh, how's it going? I've just been sent from London to help you out from a uh, station at uh, Zagreb. And it's, fun, well, it's funny because apparently, according to Bond, that's not what tipped him off. It's the fact that he ordered red wine with fish. Yes, yes. That's like the other you... thing I to mention is that Bond can t- when Bond can tell someone is not who they are. Like, if yes. you are not a British gentleman, he will spot you. <laughs> he will and, spot you in a second. And, and you know, that whole idea that they have trained Red Grant, he's going to be the ultimate kind of Bond foe. He knows how to blend in. He knows how to follow and track. He knows how to save Bond when it's necessary and throw him in the poo when it's necessary. But he can't order a goddamn white wine with fish. He's out of there. Like, it's, it's that level of the detail that I love is that that's how Bond will – you know, it's it's the equivalent of him, you know, tucking his tie in after he's beaten someone to death. Like, it's that little, yeah. <laughs> no, but I'm a gentleman. I'm a gentleman. And it's not even a class thing, I think. I think, like, James Bond, you can't really tell what his background is. I think, funnily enough, because I had always known that Bond has got a Scottish father and a Swiss mother. That's part of Bond law. But, but I, think, I think he has a Scottish father because of Sean Connery. Because of Sean Connery, yeah. yeah. Ian Fleming kind of retconned him and gave him a bit of history because he'd never really put anything into uh, Bond mm. because the whole point of Bond is that you can project yourself onto Bond and yes. it can mean what it is to you. And so he's not a super high-class Oh, I'm James uh, uh, Huntington Smythe III. You know, he's not—he's <laughs> not super upper class, and he's not super—he's oh, not. Oh, he's pretty upper class though. <laughs> like, like, let's not go. Well, like, I, I know, I know what you're saying is that he's—he's he's of the upper class, but he doesn't—he doesn't project upper class like yeah, stuff. I guess like. But if you even though he is obviously like like you know he wears tailored suits from Savile Row and and he he knows oh, yeah. a fine he knows a fine champagne and all that sort of thing like he that's such a good line in this one where he, he beats up uh he and Karim Bay beat up the um Russian security guy and he's like I don't like his tailor <laughs> I'm yeah. not fond of his tailor not fond of his tailor you know just those kind of <laughs> withering insults in the field and it's like back in Russia and headquarters uh, Agent Smirnov, what did uh, he say to you? What? Why are you so so sad? Did he ki- Did he knife you in the face? Did he hurt? Did he take one of your testicles? 
Did he, what did he do? Did he insult your mother? Did, no, he, he said he didn't like my tailor. Oh, God. <laughs> Shame. You are exiled from Mother Russia for having a bad suit. <laughs> I'll get better. I'll get better as the joke goes on. My, <laughs> my Russian accent will improve. Um, but, yeah, so I, I Red Grant is a great counter, a foil, I guess, for Bond, you would say. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's like a, he's a, he's a henchman slash primary antagonist. Like, like he mm. he's the physical antagonist for Bond in this film, which which often happens. That there's, there's a physical threat to Bond. He's carrying out the plan, but he did not think of the plan he is not yes. the brains of the operation he's just the muscle yeah but but there's there's actually really cool like, like there's there's cinema cinematography in this movie which i actually found really interesting where like there's that scene where red grant is literally shadowing bond while he's walking down the train platform uh, and yeah. he's sort of he's in the train looking at bond and they're basically like mirror images of each other yeah, and I thought that was really like that. That's just really like like thematically that really dovetails really really beautifully. Yeah, um, yeah, it was great. Uh, like there's a lot of little touches like that where I'm like, that's really good. Like and that's also, just a level of craftsmanship you you weren't expecting. Yeah, and he sucks his gut in as well. <laughs> he sure does. I was gonna say actually, yeah, I was gonna say earlier. He it's that it's that same thing where like Sean Connery was apparently like a bodybuilder, and I assume Shaw was was you know not no slouch himself. But he's supposed to be like the best possible physical specimen there is, and he's just a well-built regular before, dude. This is before all of the gym nonsense. Where yes, exactly. Any, any guy in a film now has to look like Chris Hemsworth. Like <laughs> even Chris Hemsworth has to look like Chris Hemsworth now. Yeah. It's not. It's you. You have to do that thing where you. What is it? Is Hugh Jackman talks about it when he when he's played Wolverine in the past? We have to like work out for four hours a day, and then you just don't drink water. Because you dehydrate yes. everything and then you do like a whole bunch of push-ups before you film the scene. So like all of your muscles yeah. are like pulsing and there's no water and like that's pretty torturous. No, it is. It's insane. Somehow, like maintaining that physique is physically dangerous. Yeah. And in a way, <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying welcome to our side of the pond as in the, the woman's perspective. <laughs> but by God, it's, yeah, if you to, – to be a, a dude, cut dude is – it must be just as much work as being a super hot. Skinny it's a, a full time job. Like there, there, there are people who manage to do it, you know, who just are genetically blessed and they they have a, the right frame for it and stuff like that. But you know, you, you look at someone like like Kamal Nanjiani uh, has recently uh, oh, yeah. gotten ripped, gotten ripped for <laughs> uh, his role in the Inhumans, which is one of the new Marvel movies coming out, and like. He he used to play like schlubby IT nerds, you know, yeah. and and he's gone from Crap. that to being absolutely ripped. Like and and he says he freely admits he's like no 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 the studio paid someone to just like like to be my trainer so there was someone whose job it was to make sure I didn't eat cupcakes and that I did push-ups. Yeah. Like and that and that was his full-time job. And he would also have someone. Um cook his food and prepare his food for him yeah exactly yeah yeah so he was on a meal plan he was on a, a diet and exercise regime and he had someone there making sure he stuck to it yeah you know like, like and, it, and it's and that's all you need <laughs> that's all any of us need is yeah. just a complete just a complete outsourcing. overhaul of our life and habits yeah a complete outsourcing of everything yeah 
Uh, I've been trying to exercise more during the, this whole outbreak, which, by the way, I don't know if people are aware, but we're launching this in the middle of a global pandemic. Um, mm. If you've heard, wash your hands. Um, but <laughs> uh, but I, I do feel like this week is kind of getting to the slightly odd week, but I have been trying to exercise a bit more, but it's really, I don't know, I find it really tough. Like it's, uh, it's I know it's really good when I do it and I feel better, but then the energy required is seems more than usual and I always have a bit of a trouble getting motivated to exercise, <laughs> but the reward is is good. But the motivation and the tight. Anyway, how are you coping with isolation? <laughs> <laughs> um, pretty good. As as we've talked on uh, previous podcasts, uh, my my lifestyle hasn't changed that much, uh, so uh, not too bad. Okay, cool. I just have an excuse when people ask me try. You know that people do, people have stopped asking me to come to things. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. It's not even that you have to have a good excuse anymore. It's that that it's like well. Well, that's uh, that's yeah, everything. Exactly. Uh, so. But um, so, and uh, I don't know how much more you have left on your list. I have, I have more, and it is as you say to do with. Uh, well, Excellent. one thing yes. I do, I, I let me. Well, let me talk about the girls, and then I, I want to go into Ali Bay because there's a really interesting story about him and the actor who plays him that I do want to mention. Okay. Uh, yes, I, I wrote here Tatiana, holy smoking hell. Um, <laughs> this is Daniela Bion- Bianchi, I think is how you would pronounce uh, it. She's yes, a, I think so. Italian. She's Italian. So Bion- Bianchi or Bianchi? Bianchi. Bianchi. I'm gonna Bianchi. She is so stunningly beautiful. It's like when Bond goes. Very pretty. When you're one of the most beautiful girls. Like I remember seeing her as a girl and going, "How is she legit? That like, how is anyone that?" pretty like she's so <laughs> pretty just I, that's the that's the thing though about I, these bond I, films then in these last two movies like there has been like, like the, the women in them have been like to just get male gazy for a second like really really good looking like like which doesn't happen all the time when it comes to like you know films from previous <laughs> you know from, from the 1960s or that sort of thing like you know like it, you know, standards were different, and then it was a different time. Standards? I think. Yeah, no, I just, I just mean like, you know, like, uh, like the, 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 the mores of the time, you know, and what people found sexy was, yes. was different sometimes. Yes. You know, but, but there were no super plasticky fake boobs. No, no, and, and in, in, in a way, it's just sort of, it's just sort of very refreshing to see a bunch of like very pretty women who have like basically no plastic surgery that, that you can see. Like, it's just, yeah, it's just, just a bunch of very, very good looking women. Yes. I don't, I don't know how to say that without sounding creepy, but like it, it just is a bunch of very good looking women in these films. I, I mean, look, it's just a fact. They, it is. A movie. They're not casting. They're not cut. They have their pick and choice of incredible, um, in, incredible, beautiful. I remember uh, reading about Battlestar Galactica when they first, when the producer first sort of rebooted it, and he brought in uh, Trisha Helfer, who played Six, the Cylon mm. number six, like this really smoking hot blonde one. And he's, well, I'm, I'm familiar with her work, yes. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's the one who's always nude in it or whatever. Um, and he said that because she was a model, and he said, I, I need this character to be just incredibly, like, otherworldly attractive. 
Mm. And his whole thing was, I can teach someone to act, but I need, <laughs> I need, and it's like, sometimes that's the thing, you know? I mean, I hate. Yes. Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's good to have diversity in film and people are, but again, this is a Bond film. And in Battlestar Galactica's case, it was about having this sort of incredibly seductive Cylon as part of the whole plan was they had to totally, be, in a, yes. you know, there was, there was a point. So it's like, well, and the whole point with her character is she's um, a, a, a bait. She's a she's a honey trap. So mm. they need her to be. They know Bond's a ladies' man. They need to get the smokingest, hottingest, smokingest chick both in the movie's conceit. So the Spectre need to find one, but also then the producers need to go. Look, you got to be able to look at her and go, sure. I defect from my country. <laughs> no, totally. But but actually, that, that's I, I really want to talk about this with you because I I find it fascinating, especially given like like you you've said that you want to sort of focus on the Bond girls, um, you know, in your essays and and when we talk about them in the in the podcast. Yeah, well, um, I find it fascinating. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and I find it really fascinating. I am a feminist, but I'm also <laughs> yeah. an equal opportunity sexist. Sure, so absolutely. I do like to objectify men and women equally based on their appearance. I'm just saying. That's I'm it. Just exactly. There. I'm just putting it out there. We'll point out hotties, whatever, whatever's gender they happen to be. That's right, and uh, you know, let's get Sean Connery with his shirt off again. I don't actually know if he got his shirt off in this one. He, he got did. He did. I, I did notice that there was that scene. Um, he ran. I think he was just wearing a towel. When he oh, ran across yeah. uh, in the in the when, hotel room scene. When, yeah, when she when he turns when she turns up in his hotel room, uh, yes. the bridal suite. How they double bluffed him. Oh God, I love that. He gets sent to a room <laughs> in the hotel, which he immediately finds the recording equipment and goes, "No, this won't do." And then they send him up to the bridal suite, and he does think that maybe they trapped that one as well. Yeah, that's and it. Of course, where they film him and uh, Tatiana doing it. Like, like they, they literally make a sex tape and they, they threaten to leak it on the internet. It's pretty, like for 1963, like a sex tape. salacious, tape, isn't it? It's really kind of salacious. <laughs> uh, and it's it's very obvious. It's like that's what they're doing. And I just love the way that the creepy guys, like you see it from their perspective and they're like standing, yeah. they're like standing there like a film director, like, hmm, hmm, yes, no, this is a good shot. This is a good shot. Mm, can we pan mm. out? Can we get a close-up <laughs> in there? We get, but she doesn't know either. But then this is the this is the thing. Uh, I don't know what you were about to say, but I'll bring this up because I yes. take charge of the conversation. She is there to have sex with him because that is explicitly stated with with Rosa Klebb. Yes. It's like you've had three lovers, and she's like, oh, this is none of your business, and it's like, no, it is my business. And she says, oh, what I was in love, and it's like, and if you were not in love, well, then it would depend on the man. So all she's seen is a photo of Bond. Bond has been told that that meant she's fallen crazily in love with him. So she now has to fake kind of being in love with Bond and sleep with him to, like, trap him because she thinks she's she thinks she's working for Russia. Of course, Spectre yeah. is working for Spectre unwittingly. But she has to has to have sex for Russia. And But she pretty quickly, I don't know whether it's before they get to it or after, well, once they've done it, he's got a magic penis. And she's like, no, he, that's it. I, I sure. want to defect. <laughs> no no for real yeah, yeah exactly and, and I, I was going to say something similar to that yeah like it's just the, the movie is very vague about when she goes from doing it as part of like a deep cover mission and just falling in love with him 
It seems yep. to happen relatively quickly, except we're made to think that maybe she's still faking, but she isn't. Like, she's not. No. They're, they're just straight up not. So, and my, my broader point that I was going to bring up, and I, I, I'd be really interested to hear your take on this, I found it fascinating that Romanova is possibly a step backwards in terms of agency. Like you, you were, very, and quite rightly, you were very defensive about Honey Rider last week. You know, saying that she's naive, but she's very active within the within the movie. Tatiana is literally told what to do for most of this film. It's fascinating, actually, that that she's like theoretically like much higher status than than Honey Rider was. Like Honey Rider was just some random woman diving for shells in in Jamaica. Yeah. Um, she's a spy. Like, and she's she's a a, a secret service. Uh, person theoretically like intelligent beautiful beautiful stunningly beautiful uh, a ballet dancer apparently uh yep. you know and, and all that sort well, of stuff if she was in real life a ballet dancer oh was she oh okay that, that's a nice touch then yeah that's cool but she has no agency in this film she she is told to do things first by yeah. the russians and then by bond and then yeah. the movie ends yeah do you know what i mean like, like it's it's very it's an interesting contrast with the previous film yeah, and it's um it yeah because the way I sort of position Honey Rider is Honey Rider is like an unbridled kind of force of nature, whereas yeah. uh, Tatiana is operating as a devoted to Russia kind of robot, and yeah, it's a lot harder to I'll have to think on that a lot more. I have I've pondered it, but I don't know exactly the right way to respond. <laughs> but yeah, she doesn't have the same kind of agency that Honey Rider does, um, but she does have. A kind of, I think she does have a certain amount of charm and knowledge of what sort of a life in the West will give her. But I mean, the the plan. I mean, she was always going to defect, wasn't she? Like, I mean, the the whole point was that she was told to go with Bond to London. Do whatever he says. Yeah. Yeah. So so I mean, like the the fact that she ended up falling for him doesn't change the fact that she was going to defect and go to England. Yes. You know, like, like like that hasn't changed, and so that's it's really interesting that it that that becomes. Yeah, there's no, there's no real get out in the plan for her character except Spectre know what's going to happen to her. It's probably it's a bit underwritten because Spectre know what's going to happen to her. They know that they're going to kill her and Bond in a train carriage, make it look like a murder suicide. Yeah, and all tied up in a neat bow. But from uh, her perspective, she's been told. Seduce this guy and then go and live in London, I guess? Do anything he says. He's going to take care of you. So she doesn't have an end. I guess she figures that maybe they'll touch base at some point. They might extract her at some point, But yeah. then that stops being important once she realises she's fallen in love with Bond and wants lovely clothes and that sort of thing. So I think she, I think she becomes aware of, like, her uh, sexual power over Bond a bit. Maybe, but at the same time, she's also um, what is is sad in her story is because she's being played. You know, yes. Bond gets angry and slaps her, and this is the first instance. Uh, yeah, yeah. It will not. It will not be the last of Bond. No, unfortunately woman. not. Unfortunately, um, but at the same time, he does at that time think that she has betrayed him mm. because he he goes in after Karen Bay is 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 shot. And he realizes that, that something's going on, and so he's like, "Tell me the truth, tell me the truth," because he now thinks she's double-crossed him. He doesn't know the full extent of the plan, and once he realizes the full extent of the plan, he is 
much more forgiving of her. Yes. Um, and also she gets drugged at the end. So she's kind of yeah, not. Yeah, so al- she's asleep. She's she, not, she doesn't really get to take part in the final bits and pieces. Yeah, but the thing is, is that he does take her with him. So, you know, Nash's whole thing is like, oh, the route, escape route is only for one. And he poisons her so, he, not, you know, she'll be out of the picture when he then kills them. Mm. Um, but she's not given the chance to have agency. Again, not an excuse, but they, they kind of take her out that way so they can have the fight and she's not part of the fight. Like they can't, yes, exactly, her, yeah. they can't have her being confined to a train carriage and have this fight. I feel like there's a bit of a technical workaround there. It's like they can't, because what's she going to do in this fight? And it's not the first, right, there's, yeah. there's another train carriage fight coming up, I think, in Live and Let Die. And Jane Seymour is much more active in that. But in this one, it's all about showcasing this man-on-man close-up fight. Mm. Um, they need a reason for her to be kind of out of it and not uh, not in the way or not potentially held hostage or anything like that. So, yeah, she's kind of not given the chance to be uh, – but at the same time, they play her drugging for real. Like, she's drugged for a long time. It's not like she's – Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's not like a, a movie drugging where you just sort of, you know, shake it off when you need to. Like, she goes down and then she's out of it for a long time. Yeah, and then Bond – like, literally a helicopter comes over them and starts attacking them. And there's not really anything she can do. She's not a field, a trained field operative, hmm. like with guns and stuff. She doesn't. He, he doesn't have a gun for her. He says hide under the truck, and then goes and draws away the the, the helicopter and has the big chase over the hills, you know, and um and then forces it to crash. So he's hmm. he's like, you know, shoots at them. So he's doing his spy thing, and all she can do is, you know. And and in the boat, she helps in the boat. She gets the, you know, she gets flares out and that sort of thing. But, yeah, this is much more that kind of – she's more of a passenger than a driver. In, Except for in right this. at the very end where there's that final yes. confrontation with, with, with Cleb and then she she sort of she makes throws a choice. And, yeah. Like she could, she could decide to go back at that point, but she says, no, yeah. I choose James and, and, and England. And his, uh, magic- and, and his magical penis. Um, and they, and so she, she makes her choice and, and forces the hand there. So that's at the end, she then makes an active choice, but for the entire movie, she's literally being led around on a string. Yes. And that's, that's kind of the nature of the cat. Like she's the puppet in this. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it's not, it's not good or bad. It's just an interesting observation, especially given that we was, I, I in particular was so surprised by how active honey while being quite naive and, and almost patronizingly childlike honey rider was quite uh, active within the story whereas tatiana i was like oh she's just doing what she's told that's that's this is real weird but the, uh, i mean if, again for authenticity's sake and this is the kind of thing that you know uh, i would talk about with game of thrones a bit is that not every character can be an empowered kick-ass you know, Halle Berry and Diana sure. Day, Jinx style, but, super spy. She's, but we think of Bond girls as that. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, like a Bond girl means something usually, and and this maybe wasn't quite it. But again, it's the fact that it's happening so early in the in the series. Like they're still figuring yeah. out what this even is. Yeah, and also we see. I guess the strength come through in different ways. Like we have Rosa Klebb, who's kind of this 
she's a she's a middle middle management position where she's in charge of a lot of people <laughs> and she's terrifying to a lot of people but whenever she's in a conversation with number 1 she is shit scared yes and she plays yes. that so well so she is the one who's very you know, she goes to the training center, sees all the explosions, punches red in the gut and goes, yep, he's good, and then uh, recruits Tatiana and, um, you know, you see her doing all this planned stuff. And then at the end she goes personally to kill mm. Bond in the hotel room with the spiky pointy shoes. Classic, classic Bond uh, <laughs> villain weapon there. Uh, and she goes personally to get the job done. Yeah, so this is 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 a you know, a counterpoint to, you know, and it is, look, there's there's an argument to be made there for cliches. You've got the kind of older, harsher Russian grouchy woman's type versus the young, beautiful, naive puppet. So, yes. yeah, definitely some stereotyping, some tropes and stuff there again. But, again, but- it's early enough. I mean, it's it's early enough in history and also in movie making and in the Bond franchise that, like, those tropes are kind of – not quite there yet. Like, like the, this is creating these tropes in many ways. Yeah. And they've picked her because she's done good work. Uh, Tatiana, I mean, she does good work. She's a, she's a good worker. She's simple and she's incredibly attractive. And it's the fact that she's incredibly attractive. That's the main reason that they pick her. Yes. Um, and that she's a total Russian, you know, she's a slave to mother Russia, except not as soon as James Bond's magical penis. Um, yes. I mean, that's all we needed for the cold war to end. We just needed James <laughs> Bond to... You, you just needed things to heat up a bit. That's kind of what he did does do <laughs> for the next... It, it literally, I mean, within, within the, the, the personal like timeline of these movies, that's yeah. basically what happens. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, James uh, Bond's <laughs> magical penis breaks down, the cold, breaks down the iron curtain. I call it diplomacy. I do want to talk about the gypsies. Uh, Sure, sure. Because that's a thing. It it sure is. They go to a gypsy camp to kind of throw off the bad guys. And they come on a night where two women who are in love with the same man have to battle it out in the traditional gypsy way. Sure, which I'm sure is a thing, which I'm sure is totally a thing and not an excuse for two beautiful women to fight. Yes, but the thing is... What an insane sequence. (laughs) It is insane, and it's so weird because, to me, it's still kind of strangely captivating. And and, and at the same time, I'm like, I don't think this is right. I don't think I should be... Like, I don't... Just with the modern lens of... Is it okay to t- – because the whole thing is that they're proud people. Like the gypsies the an- are – The answer is no. No, it's not okay, Natalie. <laughs> I know, but, but, but the way that the gypsies are portrayed in the film is that they're like heroic. Like they fight off the invading Bulgarian, you know, Soviet gangsters. Like they don't they're, – they're, they're not just – do you know what I mean? They're not portrayed as like, because a lot of the, and and again, forgive me if, if using the term uh, gypsy is uh, not appropriate, because I, I don't know if they're referring to them in the same way that you'd refer to traveling people or Roma or something like that. It's It seems to be a very particular thing. Um, but they do seem to be like this very proud um, group, you know, ethnic group with their own traditions who are kind of badass. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. It's not it's not the worst portrayal I've ever seen, except for the fact that like the entire it's pretty obvious the entire sequence exists for two reasons. Um, 
one Bond needs to leave Istanbul for a night and they, they might as well go somewhere interesting in terms of like filmmaking. And then two, like they wanted two pretty ladies to have a cat fight. Yeah. Film that. And Bond's kind of looking at it with like a, a, a half grin on his face. And he's like, oh, tell, he, the, tell my host he, his hospitality is amazing. Yeah. But there's a one point during, um, there's a one point during the belly dancing. So not the fight, but the yeah, belly. Yeah. The belly dancing comes out. That's he, just he kind of giggles. Laughing. That's just Sean. Yeah. Con- that's, there's no bond left on his face in that one shot. No, He's yeah. Because that's just Sean Connery know, laughing. They've just had you know a beautiful woman dancing in front of him and and doing the belly dancing thing, and you can just know he's like, what is my life? You know? <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is about the girl fight is that it's brutal. It's not sexy to me. Oh, uh, uh, look. But I you're, think it's, I you're think a it's sexual intended. man, so you might have a different frame. And I, I, look, I would argue that it is intended to be sexy. Yeah, and that's... Like, I, I don't think there's any letting the filmmakers off the hook here. First of all, I, I'm pretty sure they kind of bronze them both up a bit, which again, you know, happens a bit in these early movies. But then, um, you know, they got two pretty girls and they said, okay, you two are going to wrestle. And it's like, all right, great. And that, that'll be a sequence in the film. But uh, Bob does, after the fight, he does ask to them to say, look, can you stop the girl? Because they say to him, you must not interfere. No matter yes, what happens, does, they must not the interfere. Thing, they're fighting over a man, right? So they're fighting yeah. over a man. And then James Bond, like, swans into camp, <laughs> swings his magical dick around, and then suddenly, like, all bets are off. Like, they're both, like, into James Bond. They're well, in the it, James Bond business. See, that. To me, that's more egregious than the fight itself. It's when they go, oh, well, the chief has decided that you've saved his life, so you're now his son, so you you are a soft heart, you'll never make a proper gypsy, but you now have to decide which one of them gets to marry. Yes, and, and so given this power, Bond immediately uh, enacts the power of Prima Nocta. <laughs> but they, <laughs> annoying to me it's like well hang on are they because it doesn't show them explicitly having sex he just goes oh things just got interesting or something like that uh, like one, he one definitely the- had sex with both of those women natalie <laughs> <laughs> but like but the thing is it's what they see is you see them like draw, dressing his wounds and kind of attending to him um but then he leaves and they don't even say who he picked no, yeah, yeah. There's no resolution to that whole subplot. Again, because it we, which is matter because, because we just wanted to have two sexy girls. We just wanted to have two sexy women wrestle for a bit in this Bond film. You know what? I don't, I don't <laughs> hate it. It's weird. It does not. Stand hey, look, as as a straight man, like it's very fine. It's very fine to watch that happen. But you know, from a filmmaking perspective and just a modern lens perspective, just kind of, kind of problematic and a bit of a waste yeah. of time. I mean, yes, that is true. But I would like to talk about uh, Ali Karimbe. Yes, uh, yes, the, the, a great character. He is one of my favourite characters in that just one of those characters who turns up in one film, and sadly he has to uh, he has to die, which is is just a, a crappy because he escapes death so many times, and he's like got this magic mm. touch of. You know, not today. Like he, he literally, they set off a bomb outside his office, but he's too busy hooking up with his mistress. Yes. <laughs> and he's got the whole thing about I only employ my sons. He's got countless sons, and he's just immediately loyal to Bond. He's suspicious of this whole plan to get the lector. He's like, I think this is a trap. 
I think it's bullshit. He is knowledgeable about the area. He, uh, uh, the way that they do things, that we play the game differently here, Mr. Bond. He's a realised character, and and mm. I mean, in terms of being a, a person of colour, like I think that's, I don't know, I think I I find a, a certain amount of um a, a joy to that, and I love that his final act that you see him do is they 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 take care of the, that Bulgarian guy with the badge suit and I don't like his tailor and he's going <laughs> to sit down and watch over him and he says oh I've, I've lived a very interesting life I'm going to tell you all about it so the guy is gagged and then Ali Karambe's idea is just to go I'm just going to sit here smoke a cigar and tell him about my life because fuck this guy yeah and that's I, right like I love that his last the thing we see him do is just be a smart ass and, yeah. and I was thinking, it's like, oh, we don't actually see him get killed. We just see him dead. And in a way, I was like, oh, he kind of deserved a heroic death. But also, I'm kind of glad that the last thing we see of him is just this wonderful character moment of, I know exactly what I'm going to do to piss you off, bro, and you can't do anything to stop me because you're <laughs> right down. Like, and he's so relaxed and, in, like, he's such a great high-status character. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's really, really good. Of all the, and and again, like he finds counterparts across the Bond movies to come. There, there is a version of Karen Bay, but actually, I think, think like thinking about it, I can't think of someone who really like tops him. There's um, uh, John Rhys Davies plays a character in a couple of the Bond films. Actually, God, does he? Or am I thinking of the James Bond? Oh, am I thinking of I the think, Indiana Jones films? I think you're thinking <laughs> of Indiana Jones. No, doesn't he? He plays them in the Bond films as well. Or am I? Go, I'm going crazy. I think that might actually. I might actually be thinking of the Indiana Jones films. I, I know Robbie Coltrane plays like a Russian guy off, yes. across a couple of the Pierce Brosnans. Yes. Uh, who has a similar sort of energy? But yeah. I still think like Karen Bay like might top him. He's just really wonderful. He's so watchable. I remember because I, you know, I knew that he didn't die from that first one, but I was like, does he die that early? And I had this feeling of like, <laughs> I'm sure he doesn't because he's so, it's so disappointing. But mm. why I wanted to mark him and mark the actor who played him, whose name was uh, Pedro, I'll probably mispronounce this, but Armandadas, um, and he was a Mexican actor. Oh, okay, uh, of, all, of all things. I was uh, going to say because I mean he's playing a Turkish person and I was like, oh, have they just gotten a British person to be a Turkish person here? But apparently, yeah, okay, well they've they've gotten a Mexican person to be a Turkish person. I mean, look, it's not a white guy, so there's no, okay, some... well, we're, we're one step in the right direction. <laughs> now he was in a heap of uh, films uh, in, in America and he, a lot of Westerns, as you might, uh, understand, he did a lot of films with, uh, what's her name? Dolores Del Rio. He went to Hollywood in the late forties. I think he was in the Mexican film industry and then was in a lot of films in the late forties and fifties, including some, uh, we were strangers, but he was in the movie, the conqueror 1956, which is well sort of regarded as one of the oh. big critically and commercially this That's is the, the where john wayne played yes. genghis khan right speaking, okay yes speaking of uh fairly dodgy casting oh scenes. boy oh boy but that was the film that was filmed in um yes. nevada sorry Death filmed Valley. in utah when the uh above ground nuclear testing was happening in nevada 
1956, Howard Hughes uh, produced that. So within 25 years, 91 of the 220 people involved in the production, which was 46%, had developed cancer, 46 of whom died. Um, Including John Wayne. Including John Wayne. It's not. It's one of those things where is that so statistically different? I'm not entirely sure, but still, it's like one of those things where it's a cursed movie. People, so, people definitely point to it and say, yeah, like, like most of the people who worked on that movie got cancer. Yeah. So, so he was um, – he got neck cancer. And so oh, during, during From Russia With Love, he was very sick. He was in a lot of pain. Oh, really? Uh, you can see him limping in some scenes, but he did the movie because it was really well paid and he wanted his family to be secure. He was only 51. So, Jesus. Um, yeah, so this film was released in October 1963, but in June 1963 he was in the hospital, uh, Armandaris. He had a gun smuggled in and he shot himself in the chest, killed himself. Oh, my God. Uh, now, again, I should have probably said trigger warning. <laughs> um, <laughs> please do not do this. <laughs> this is oh, obviously, um, yes. It, you know, but he was obviously a man like I'm at the end of my life. I've got terminal, terminal cancer. I've done this film. So he never got to see the film released. And that made me feel so, I don't know, bittersweet. Like he gives mm. this great performance, his last performance on film, this really memorable character a great final line of like, I've had a really interesting life. Let me tell you about it. And that's the last line he says. That's on his film. last line. Yeah. And oh, I, I, how, how crazy. And it actually, he was just reading here towards the end of shooting. He was too ill to perform his part. So his final scenes were performed by his double, which was the director, Terence Young. So I assume in some of those scenes that are long shots and things like that, but yeah, he was, he was incredibly sick. So like what a gift yeah. for, for the bond universe really that this wonderful actor pulled out this amazing performance being really sick and then was like i'm i'm done and i i just thought that was a really amazing story yeah uh, no it is that's incredible that's really like incredible worth bringing to light uh yeah for such a wonderful character and and the other thing was just when i was looking at this and i went back and was looking at um john kitzmiller who played quarrel he died of a, a liver complaint, also aged about 50, in 1965. So he saw the film Dr. No get released but um, didn't outlive it by very long. So, yeah, so it's really interesting. I'll, I'll keep an eye as we go through on the actors from the films and, um, you know, their their uh, relative yeah. health. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I've just, I, I thought that was such an interesting story and um, one that I would share. So no, no, it was that. That's that's fantastic. I mean, really, really, really touching. And I guess you know, tragic. But I guess if you're that way inclined, he went out on his own terms. So I guess you know, he he got that level of control. Yeah, and he had this. He has a wonderful epitaph in this film. You know, mm. playing because I think he played a lot of uh, probably cowboys, that sort of thing, Mexican film industry, a lot of westerns. And yeah. all of a sudden he had this role as this great, you know, Turkish spy um, <laughs> with, with great one-liners and this very active sex life. And, you know, <laughs> um, and he, he's just such a good friend and a good partner to Bond. 
So uh, yeah, they and they obviously have like really good chemistry on screen together. Yeah, they, they, like the scenes where they go like Phantom of the Opera style, punting underneath. Yes. Underneath the, the consulate <laughs> building. I and, thought that I thought that as they were punting through. I was like, that's <laughs> <"Phantom laughs> Um, and and they uh, and they spy on the Russians through a periscope. Like there's just some good spy action in this. Like they've got, yeah. you know, they've got a a, a submarine periscope into <laughs> into a into a room, and nobody in the room ever notices it. Yeah, I don't understand how that works because obviously that's popping up somewhere. Mm. Like what what is even happening with yeah, that? I'm, that's really strange. Like it. <laughs> Everyone in the room is like, do you uh, you see the, the tube that comes out of the floor, yes? Um, yes, we do not speak of it. And there's that lovely sequence where they actually steal the lector. Because remember, that's the other thing. This is about a good old-fashioned, we need this decoding machine, yes. you know? There's a MacGuffin. Uh, we need this machine. And so they steal it, and Bond is like, uh, do you uh, – is your clock uh, right? It's like, yes, it always is. I'm so, sorry, you said your clock was right. It's like Russian clocks are always boom. You know, there's lovely. <laughs> um, and then Bond has a gas mask on him and he just puts on the gas mask and whisks Tatiana out of there. And, you know, there's these lovely set pieces um, in the film, um, mm. which all kind of make sense. And and they're not, they're not so over the top that it doesn't still pass as a spy thriller. I think that's the thing. Like as the film's yes, going. Yes, that's right. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the budgets get bigger. You know that whole thing about Bond where, like, say the motorcycle sequence from Tomorrow Never Dies where he and Michelle Yeoh are on a bike and they're jumping over roofs and they're knocking over. And you're like, the the, the damage, you know, the, the human life damage of, like, yes, everything yes. knocked over, like, and it's never commented on. You know, yes. these are kind of things that are not so, oh, there was a bomb at the Russian embassy or the Russian, you know, oh, but that was just the Russian embassy. So there's been a bomb there. Oh, well, it's the Cold War. These little things happen. Um, uh, it's not like him charging through the streets of Moscow, no, St. Petersburg with a tank like in Gaza, <laughs> you know, and I love those big sequences. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I love them. That's what makes Bond films. But in this one, it's still yeah. got that spy film element. That's it, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, and it still, it still has like the, yeah, that 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 low key sort of, you know, he's being a spy. Like, like it's the joke that everyone makes about James Bond is that he's the worst spy in the world because he <laughs> runs into a place, announces who he is, and then blows everything up. Um, but in this one, he's actually still trying to be a spy. Like, he's doing spycraft. Yeah. So anyway, I I love this film. It's not, it's probably not in my top five. It might be somewhere in the top ten around that, but um, it's still just such a solid uh, movie. Yeah, with, I, with questionable uh, sexist elements, admittedly. Sure, sure. Hey, look, we we if we're not ready for that, we shouldn't be talking about Bond films. <laughs> uh, but but I thought well, what I wanted to do, and I, I we haven't discussed this before. This is happening on mic, but I, I thought it'd be really oh, interesting. An on mic challenge. An on mic challenge. It'd be interesting to rank these films as we go, right? Like, so obviously, like, we've, we're, we're two films in now. So we – do you think you like this film better than Dr. No? Or would you put Dr. No ahead of this one? So are we ranking or are we giving them, like, a star rating or an A plus, A minus? No, no, well, we can, we can rank them because as we go on, we oh, can then like take our existing list and then insert – 
know, the, the movie where they need to go. A living document. A, a of... living uh, ranking okay. list, yes. I think that would yeah, be really yeah, interesting. Yeah. Now, this is interesting because I, I, I think uh, technically a lot of this film is better. So on a technical level, yes, but I think on an emotional level, Dr. No, I would probably still rank higher. Okay. Just because really of, interesting. Yeah, I don't know, just because of that villainy, the lair, the $1 million, the, you know, <laughs> um, the you've had your six, which we didn't talk about, by the way, that controversial scene from Dr. No. No, yeah. Well, was I that think, controversial? I'm not sure. Well, he kills him in cold blood. He just murders him. Yeah, like he, but I, I, I mean, he, I'm he very have, used to James Bond doing that. Like, that's not a... True, but he could have just, like, put him in the cab with Miss Taro and taken them back to the embassy and held them... No, I thought I thought that was a badass line. I, I was I was oh. like that, that that's genuinely like that that's not a that's not a Bond quip. That's like a that's like that's, an action movie one liner. It's like yeah, a, that's, that's it's yeah. totally badass. So you I think emotionally, and that's the thing. Are we ranking on technicality? Are we ranking on emotion? Or are we ranking on what to us? Because like for example, next week's Goldfinger, and I can tell you now, I will rank that higher than both of these. Right. Because, yes. Okay. You know, I just think it has some amazing elements that shoot it up. But then there's a whole, you know, second half of the plot where Bond is just like not doing much. He's kind of just in custody, like he's he's been kidnapped. So well, I, mean, I guess I mean it's 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 a personal ranking. So I mean like you know uh, uh, overall as as films like like what 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 your your ranking of these films. So we can do them we can do them separately. You're saying so we each have our own rank. Well yes I mean we, we could we could probably do them separately. I was thinking we could probably like argue our case, but like. Okay, well let's see let's let's have our cake and eat it. Um, <laughs> let's do a personal one each and then we can start to like, see if they slide together or start to see if, as we watch them through, whether they, yeah. you know, come up and down and yeah. So well, what would we'll, you rank this one? We're already, we'll, we're already diverging because I think that this is a better movie than Dr. No. And I like Dr. No a lot. Yeah. But there was, like, like I said, there were things in this that I found just delightful. Yeah. And there's a lot of Dr. No where Bond is like sneaking around a beach and <laughs> stuff like that, you know, like, like there's a lot of that stuff. Whereas in this one, like a lot of the, um, the back end of the movie is really exciting and tense. Uh, you know, like, like he's on a train and, and Red Grant is, is pursuing him and it's, there's, there's a propulsive energy to the, to the end, to the ending of this, like the back half of this movie. Yeah. Um, I think it's really, really well done. I, I honestly think it's 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 better made. It's more it, it's more assured of itself. Like, like it's, they're it's they're they're convinced this time. Set, yeah, it's got more action set pieces. It's got some great villainous stuff. I think it's just an emotional thing for me. It's like a mm. yeah. So I think I think this will be a really interesting thing to round out each podcast where we can start to see where the differences is uh, yeah. different. Ah, I should say, and then start to see maybe at the very end, once we've done them all, can we combine and get the definitive list that we're both happy with? Yes, exactly. Yeah, I think that'd be really good. <laughs> you know, okay, I'll trade you this one, one up. <laughs> you trade this one, two down. Like, I'm sorry, I am not having Octopussy that high up. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> because I do, env- I do envisage like, like in the in the in the middle to late period, we might have some very strong disagreements about certain yeah. films i'm not sure i think that'll be really fun and then see if we can come up with a master list where we go yeah, together exactly yeah i think that'd be yeah. great um okay so we'll try i'll try and work out some sort of document um maybe i can put it on my website and go our running tally yeah uh, exactly 
uh, documented. Just created another job for you. No, that's fine. That's that's an easy job. <laughs> By God, compared to everything else, compared to GIF, GIF sourcing, uh, that's easy. A list. But just to, but just to sum up, so so that means that that your current ranking is Doctor No from Russia with Love, and yep. mine is the opposite. So from yep. Russia with Love, Doctor No. Yep. Good. Cool. Yeah. Cool. With no, that, that's I, I I just like putting things in lists. No, I love it. Do you know, I just list, I write lists all the time and then I write things on the list that I know I'll do so I know I'll have some things to cross off the list so I feel productive. Like empty dishwasher. Yep, I'll do that. That's fine. No problem. Like put load of laundry on. Okay, great. Ironing. I'll never do that, but I'll put it on the list anyway. <laughs> so I'm a big fan. And no app that I found has beaten just sitting down with a notepad and pen and writing and ticking off. Like Writing it out, uh, yeah. I can't beat that. I just can't beat it. Uh, so with that, Stu, I will uh, bid farewell, and next week we will return with <gasps> bum bum bum. <laughs> so good. We will see everyone then. Please jump in and give us your uh, feedback on the uh, podcasts, on the essays, on uh, Facebook. You can find us on Twitter or Facebook. It's Facebook.com/slash Natalie's Throne. It's Game of Thrones holdover. Don't hold it against me. Uh, just- <laughs> Stu, at Disco Stu on Twitter. I'm at your clumsy, love to chat bond. And um, until next time, I'm Nash. And I'm Stu. And we're shaken. Not stirred. Yay! It's going to work. It's going to work. It's working. All right, see you next time. Bye, guys. Bye.